Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Midfield Battle. We're doing a U.S. edition this time out here in Chicago, and I'm joined by one of the great friends that I'm lucky to have met over the past few years through college and, more importantly, through football. So today I'm here with my friend Jack. How's it going, my man? Yo, y'all, I'm doing great. We out here, you know, just beautiful day here in Chicago. It's It's been so great to see you this week and just touch base and reconnect and yeah, thanks for inviting me on your podcast, man. I could talk about football forever, so I'm pumped to, you know, just hash it out. Definitely. I mean, it's it's how we do it. It's, uh, as I've said a million times on this and the number of people I met, even just through the podcast and other ways, it's always a good way to get to know people. I mean, when I made it to Chicago, it's always a conversation starter, and I've made great people along the way, such as you, Jack. We met, what was it like? Uh, one pickup game, I think, at the start of your freshman year. Was that right? Yeah, I remember it was me and me and Christian, my friend Christian, who became our friend. But uh, but yeah, I remember we were playing pickup, and Christian was my dorm mate. And uh, <laughs> yeah, it was pretty early in, in in the fall, and it was so nice out, and we were like, "Dude, we got to find some people to play with." And then we showed up to this field, and yeah, I remember you were there. Tav was there. I don't think Taha was there, but I think it was definitely you and Tav. And uh, yeah, I remember playing with you guys, and you guys were good. And then I think it was maybe that time or maybe the second time that we played together, pick up, you approached us about joining your intramural team for the fall. And, and we were both like, yeah, like that, that sounds awesome. We're so down. But yeah, from there, I mean, look at us now. It's been what, three, a solid three years, I would say. We had our runs, intramural runs. We played in and out of there and just we kept in touch. So here we are now. And uh, it's great to have this connection for a lifetime. You, like so many other people met along the way. But, yeah, totally agree. Yeah, man. So you know how it works around here with all the new guests that we have. I'm always it's always interesting to keep track of this and see the different perspectives. Obviously, to introduce yourself to whoever's listening. Okay, heck yeah. Um, well, like Roberto was saying, my name is Jack Jack Birding. Um, my yeah, I have a very interesting just background with soccer, but to keep it to the surface level for now, uh, I would say my my favorite player growing up was always Ronaldinho, just because. Uh-huh. Oh my God, like the dude is just so happy whenever he's playing. He was always just had a smile on his face. And I think when it was, it was watching Ronaldinho, that soccer became less of a sport for me and more of an art. Just the amount of ball control that he had, it was like an extension of his body. Uh, It was unlike anything I had ever seen. I had never even conceptualized that someone could have that much control over the ball. I mean, it was just ridiculous and how playful he was. Oh, I mean, just growing up watching Ronaldinho, there's there's just nothing quite like it. So, yeah, Ronaldinho, and then I also really like um, I, I I liked Ian Robin growing up, the Dutch player. The other person that I always really liked growing up was, uh, and including now, is uh, Luka Modric, yeah. just because I feel like he's just a conduit for for fast play. You know, he's always one two touch. He always knows where his next pass is going, and he's such a smart player. I mean, the way that you throw him in the center of any team and he just controls the game. He's checking his back, the way that he makes runs just to create space for other people. Like he he's just on a different level. He's he's the one on the team that he's not a player. He's he's the conductor of the orchestra, you know? I mean, he just understands the ebb and flow of the game so well that watching him is wow, it's just unbelievable. In terms of clubs, because I never heard like from you specific clubs that maybe you were a big fan, like some of the other guys. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny that you say that because growing up, I always felt myself more drawn to players than actual clubs. Right. I, uh, I kind of always liked um, 
Uh, I always liked Man United, but that was just because that was the first team that I really knew in England. So yeah, the Dutch national team, Man United, but like I love Jurgen Klopp, his coaching style. Mm. I love how upbeat he is. I love how, I think my favorite part about him is I, I feel more drawn to the socio-emotional aspect of coaching just because I feel like, you know, being a good tactician is cool and I think that it is really important. But, you know, if if, if you can bring a team together as as one and you can have them thinking on the same wavelength of thought and you can have them, you know, fighting for each other and believing in each other and pushing each other and more than anything, just playing having their football be an expression of this game that they're deeply in love with. I, I really feel like it translates to the field of play. I think that when players are playing in survival mode, you know, they're being neurotic about winning. They they have to win. They have to make money. They have to compete. I'll always, I, I feel like when you watch on some level, you can always tell. I feel like the play is more stiff. It's less playful. And I think at the end of the day, you know, in the short run, maybe you get some wins like that. But in the long run, I think that the coach that fosters a healthy environment where people can play like the artists that they are. I feel like those players will always be uh, in the long run. I think that that team and those players will always be the strongest team and players. And that's kind of the the way that I see Jurgen Klopp coaching. He's always smiling. He's always having fun. Kind of like that same thing that drew me to Ronaldinho. I see just, it, yeah. just the playful atmosphere of just enjoying this game that we love and how privileged, you know, we are to be able to play this game at all. And yeah, when I watched Liverpool today, I, you know, I know lately they haven't been doing as well as they were, but I just, yeah, I just, I, I've, I'm in love with that coaching style. But yeah, no, no team in particular. But obviously, FC Cincinnati is, you know, I, I, I will never have a team that I love more than them just because my personal connections to it. I mean, uh, Netherlands and Liverpool as of lately. It feels like I'm talking to Brett again. I wish he was on. He, he <laughs> agreeing with all of this part, and I think for the similar reasons as well. Uh, I, mm. I figure also your connection, of, I guess, to youth football. And the Dutch definitely got that going well for them, how serious and involved they are. So that is definitely a plus, especially when you're so young and that's your first approach to football. And in terms of Liverpool, if there's one thing you cannot deny of them, especially in the last decade, is definitely their passion. And Klopp mm-hmm. is a perfect fit, cultural fit for that. And I think that's why it makes sense to be so drawn to them over the past years, ever since he's really taken charge of them. So that makes sense. Any jersey number that was really your thing when you were a kid or was just any? Number three, number five, they both kind of resonate with me a little bit. They represent like, I guess, different eras in my play. When I was number three, it was more of just all for fun. And number five, I think it became more of this this pressure environment. As much as I loved playing with that Classics Hammer FC team, I loved my teammates. The dads on our team were so close. And it was cool because we would travel every weekend and go play and so we became super close. One of my best friends to this day, his name is Diego. He's uh, he's half Argentinian. And uh, he was on that team. And we lived close by, so we would carpool everywhere together. And we just became so, 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 so close. I was literally talking to him for like an hour the other day. And, uh, and yeah, so I'm super grateful for that. But I will say, playing on that team, um, even though I, I definitely became a stronger player, I... Um, I, I think along the way, especially as I got towards high school, it, there's just started to become so much pressure because, you know, you're not just playing for fun anymore. You're playing for college scholarships. You're playing for, you know, recognition by clubs all over the country. Maybe you play in the DA, the Development Academy, which is a direct funnel to playing in the MLS. You know, if you're a good academy player, you can get reps with MLS one or two teams. So there just became a lot of pressure around it. And honestly, I... I the, this is kind of why I stopped playing competitively after a while, just because uh, 
I know that it wasn't advertent that parents weren't consciously putting all this pressure on me, but you know, you'd be 13 years old and you mess up. And I mean, I could just palpably sense the frustration with me, the disappointment in me. Cause not only was when I messed up, I was making myself look bad, but I was also making parents, kids look bad. You know, I was making my teammates look bad. And I mean, it was just, it was just so much pressure that after a while I, um, yeah, I started, I, I was playing and we were playing at a high level. Like I said, we were going all around the country. We played in National League, which is top teams in the country. We won state three out of five years that we competed in it, or maybe four years, actually. So we were a really strong team. Some of the guys that I played against growing up are on the U.S. national team now. Josh Sargent, we used to play against all the time. And uh, he was always a really strong player. Played for Scott Gallagher in St. Louis. And yeah, I, I vividly remember him because he was really, really, really good. So... So yeah, that's we were really playing surrounded by these players that were just really great and really awesome. And after a while, I, I honestly feel like the the beauty of the game got totally outweighed by the pressure that I felt just to play well. And in my uh, in my high school years, I ended up getting uh, five. I, I I accumulated five concussions, and uh, some of them were like more mild than other ones. But um, but at the end of the day, when I got my fifth concussion, I was kind of just looking for a way out. I. Uh, I just felt so overencumbered by the pressure of playing um, that, you know, by the time I got my fifth concussion, it was kind of the perfect excuse for me to just quit. I, I felt like I couldn't really be a high schooler. All my weekends were taken up. All my after school moments were taken up just by soccer. I'd been playing high school soccer for a couple of years at this point too. And it just, the same pressure wasn't for me. Um, and yeah, you know, looking back on it, it's kind of devastating because in these later years of my life, I feel like I've really been able to rekindle that passion for football. And I definitely have some, some sadness that, that, that beauty and that bliss was ever taken away from me. And, you know, I, I do think that on some level, it, it wasn't totally anyone's fault. You know, it was definitely a combination of, you know, them putting pressure on me and me in turn putting that pre- same pressure on myself. But, uh, but yeah, I think towards my later years, I, I really did have such an awesome team, such awesome coaches. Um, but at the end of the day, I just, I, I really didn't have that that confidence in myself, uh, just with all the, the pressure that I felt, to be honest. And uh, and yeah, I think I really lost that zest for it, and I ended up quitting when I was seventeen. And when me and you started playing intramural again, mm-hmm. that was uh, really it was during that time after, because then I had been out of playing competitively for a couple of years, and playing with you guys, it was the highest level that I had played since I quit soccer, and. Man, that really set me on this track where I was like, dang, like this is really just an awesome game. And, you know, even though I'm not playing it at a competitive level anymore, I'm not playing in college, I'm not playing professionally or whatever, you know, this is still something that I always want to be a part of my life in some way. Definitely. It's so big. I never thought of this. It's maybe the first time I hear it with so much detail about uh, really the involvement of pressure at such a young level, because we're talking like 13 through 17 years old. Of course, it was a very high level in your case because you kept scaling up and up. But to see how much pressure there was really on you guys and how much it affected and turned the smile that you were talking about earlier that's necessary in the game into pressure because you're playing for scholarships and not just you, your teammates and all the parents there, it really drives it away from what the game is supposed to be from how you said it perfectly, how we've seen it during college or even just pick up and playing for fun around here, which we're still competing among us and with other people, but not at that level. That's like really having an impact on you. It's crazy. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I couldn't have said it better myself. It looking back on it, it's, 
you know, I mean, I, I'm a firm believer that everybody's just a human being trying to figure it out. You know, we're all just kids growing up, walking around in adult bodies and kids yeah. just don't have adult bodies, you know? So I have no resentment, no blame. You know, it's just, it just, it is the way that it was, but I can take that situation from it and learn from it. And, you know, my experience is now coaching or playing, you know, I always just try to be an impetus of, of positivity because at the end of the day, you know, the moments that you're going to remember aren't the ones where, you know, you necessarily win or, you know, you necessarily, I guess, yeah, you know, I, I, I get very turned off by playing just to win because I think that there's a certain bliss that comes from pushing yourself harder than you thought you could. And I think that sometimes winning can be um, a symbol of that goal that you set for yourself and for your team to be like, hey, let's push ourselves farther than we thought we could go. Like Leicester, for example, when Leicester won the uh, Premier League, mm-hmm. however many years ago now, uh, obviously that was super, super inspiring and it was because they won. But I would counter that and say it wasn't inspiring because they won. It was inspiring because they played better football than they possibly thought that they could play. Absolutely. And so I think setting that goal for yourself and saying, you know, let's compete against ourselves and, you know, competition can be a great way to help us grow, to push ourselves, to push ourselves beyond what we thought we were capable of. I think competition is really beautiful in that sense. But I think if you misconstrue competition for the point, you know, the point is to prove that you're superior than another human being. Mm. I think that that is just where insecurity comes in. And I think that that is where, yeah, I I think, you know, you're comparing yourself to someone else. And I just think, yeah, the insecurity comes in there. At that point, you're not playing football for fun. You're playing it in survival mode because you have to prove that you're worthy. You have to prove that you're worthy by playing football. And, you know, football is just such a beautiful game. It's an art, you know, as soon as you play an art, like, you know, you don't draw because you have to, you don't sing because you have to, you draw because you want to, you sing because you want to, you know, you film a, um, uh, even a podcast because you want to, not because you have to. And I feel like as soon as you're doing, you start doing art out of necessity is where the magic gets taken away from it. And that was just a hundred percent my experience with football is it was necessary to win. It was necessary to, to be the best and just the magic was totally robbed out from under me. And, and, it, and you know, it really stunk because I don't, I don't think that it should ever be that way for anyone. Football should be the place that you go where you can put all your worries, all your stresses to the side and just connect with your peers and just enjoy this beautiful game. Spot on, spot on. And you mentioned a great point because transitioning then to, I think the st- second stage, this is a cool part of cool aspect of this episode is like through you, we're able to see how, different aspects with the same person as you in different chapters of your life of how you're seeing the different levels of football. Of course, as a young guy growing up through childhood with football, playing it. And then your recent experience that you were telling me even the other night at the bar about uh, coaching and how you want to inspire that positivity. And I think you were in a great place for it. So how was that? Yeah. So it it was crazy. And obviously just to give some context. So I was, um, I was studying abroad in Bhutan last semester and Bhutan is a small country in the Himalayas. It's in between India and China, but long story short. Uh, yeah. So I wanted to go to Bhutan because I, um, I'm a psychology major and Bhutan is the, that, that I know of either one of the, or the only country in the world that, uh, takes into account the psychological well-being of their citizens when measuring, um, the effectiveness of the government or the quality of life of their citizens. So, here in the US, the main metric that we use is GDP, gross domestic product. That's yeah. our basic economic measure uh, <laughs> to see how well the quality of life is in the country. And uh, you know, there's a lot to say about GDP. It's a very limited uh, scope. And there's been a lot of thought recently into 
you know, using another metric as a way to kind of assess where we are as a society. But nonetheless, one of the countries that is doing it differently is Bhutan. And so they use a metric called GNH, which is gross national happiness. And sounds like very hippie-ish, very, you know, but they're super Buddhist countries. So for them, it's very practical because the highest calling of Buddhism is the liberation of all sentient beings, uh, which is more specifically uh, enlightenment, which is more specifically a state of bliss, a state of nirvana in everyday life. So that translates to happiness. So I wanted to go there and see what it was like living in a country that, uh, yeah, openly prioritizes psychological health. And um, it was a really, really amazing experience. Um, and I mean, yeah, it, it, it was honestly just incredible. They're super, super unique country, a lot to say about it. And one of the ways that I learned through it was a fitness internship with the men's and women's football team at the college that I was going to. I was kind of surprised that they just came out and asked me, given that, you know, these are their college teams, both the men's and the women's team played in the first league in Bhutan. They played in Bhutan Premier League. So they're playing professionally. Um, the college kids aren't getting any money because they get scholarships, but other people in the league, they're making money doing it. And um, obviously the level is totally different than, you know, United States or Europe. It's it's a lot, lot lower. But football is also a lot newer to them because they've kind of been late to, to globalize. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because, I mean, they got, I think they got television or cell phones in the early 2000s. So that kind of puts it in perspective. Just, I mean, they're this secluded country in the Himalayas. They're a little bit further behind. Different world. Yeah, so they're just playing catch up. But nonetheless, I I was confident in doing it. And I actually had the opportunity to meet with, um, and we can tell this story after I tell the coaching story. But uh, my dad is, as you know, is the uh, president and CEO. Or I guess maybe he's not the president anymore. I think he's just the CEO now. But CEO and founder of FC Cincinnati, the MLS team. And so I'm very connected with them over there. So I just hopped on a call with Austin Berry, the strength and conditioning coach of <laughs> FC Cincinnati. And he just laid out the whole program for me of what uh, FC Cincinnati does in the preseason, you know, and, you know, it's a lot of off the ball work, but mostly on the ball work, to be honest, he believes in fitness with the ball, which makes a lot of sense because most of the game, you know, you're going to be with the ball. Like you got to be in shape. You got to be able to dribble. You got to be able to make passes. You got to be able to hit the ball as you're running, be aware of the game. So so most of their programs centered around that. I, I started working primarily with the women's team because at this time they were looking for a new women's coach. And yeah, at first it was like a very, very unique experience if I'm being totally honest because, you know, I'm the same age as these these girls that I'm doing conditioning for, you know, like I'm 22. They're 18 through 20. I think our oldest player is 26. At first, there was this palpable like barrier between us. Like I was nervous, you know, what do they think of me? Again, like these girls in my age, they're super cute. Like wh- what am I doing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that they slowly started to realize that I'm just, you know, I'm a dingus. Like I'm, I'm just me. Like I'm super goofy. I'm not so serious. I think eventually they started to be like, okay, wait, like this guy's just an idiot. We can be ourselves around him. We can kind of just be goofy too. And so eventually the walls started coming down and I actually started to really, really enjoy my time doing the fitness and coaching with them. And meanwhile, the men were practicing at the same time as the women. And so the coach saw what I was doing and he was so impressed by the program that I was implementing that um, he asked me if I just wanted to be the head coach of the team. (laughs) And uh, I was like, uh, at first I was so excited. I remember I'd written my journal before that I thought it would be cool if they just asked me to be the coach. I could kind of sense that that was kind of the vibes. 
And I thought that it would be really cool just if I could coach for them while they were still looking for a coach. And um, and then, yeah, he literally, I was in the cafeteria one day and he walked up to me and he just said, Jack, you're going to be the coach of the women's team. And I was like, oh, wow. Like, okay. And he's like, okay, cool. And then he just walked away. And I was like, wow, like this is awesome. And then I realized that, wait, like I have no idea what I'm doing. Like I've never been a coach before, you know, being a fitness coach and being a team coach is totally different. And so I was like, shit, okay, like what do I do? And uh, I was freaking out for a bit because, again, we're playing in the first league of Bhutan. And in a week or two, the girls from the national team are going to come back. And we have four girls on our team who are on the national team. So I talked with the coach a little bit about his expectations for me. And then I was actually, uh, I reached out to um, Kevin McCluskey, who is one of my old coaches. He's the one who took us to uh, state championships, to national league, to all these regionals. Um, and uh, he's currently the, the announcer for FC Cincinnati. Well, he's not the announcer. He's the one who does like the analysis, the data. But either way, he's my coach. And I texted him and was like, hey, uh, you know, they just asked me to be the coach here. Can I get like a crash course in coaching? And he was like 100%, like, let's hop on a call. So we hopped on a call. Same thing. We ended up talking for a couple hours. And he laid out the very basics of coaching, the building blocks. You know, he's talking about like how much field space do you have? Uh, you know, how much time a week do you have? Uh, like, what are the parameters that you're working with? And then he basically broke down a, a very simple way of looking at coaching. You know, you have your tactical components, your technical, mental, emotional, and physical. Um, and he talked about how a basic approach is to look at these four categories and to prioritize them in terms of, okay, what do you think is the most important thing that your team is lacking right now in, in all four of these, you know? And basically to make a totem pole, basically a priorities where, this is the thing that we're lacking the most. This is the second most. And then center your trainings around those components that you feel like your team is lacking. Anyway, long story short, I end up in this coaching position. I'm getting a better feel for it. And um, yeah, I was able to to really, you know, just through, I, I really started to realize that I thought that the most important thing was just forming a good relationship with the players. And then after creating a sense of trust with the players, you know, having them create a sense of trust within each other. And um and yeah, so we started to do a lot of team building stuff, a lot of fun team building exercises. We did, um, uh, you know, the spaghetti challenge, which is where you take spaghetti sticks and some tape and you have to build the biggest tower that you can and balance a marshmallow on the top in 10 minutes. That was a big hit. And uh, we did some other fun games like, you know, three-legged races, uh, you know, blindfolded stuff for communication. And basically the whole idea is so that, you know, these play players can start to form deeper bonds and we had big skill gaps on our team with between the national team girls and the girls who were, uh, you know, had less experience playing. And so there was some frustration at first between the two camps. But doing these team, team building exercises helped to really mitigate those gaps and, you know, help us to all see that we all just have different strength, strengths and weaknesses. And, uh, and yeah, eventually we started playing together super, super well. And as our team started to get closer and we started to make tactical adjustments and technical adjustments, the results started to show one of the teams that we lost to, uh, I think it was like six, seven, eight, nothing in preseason. It, we, I mean, we just got blown out by them in preseason before I was coaching. We came around and we played them after a few weeks of me coaching and we beat them one zero. So we were making just huge strides as a team with just these basic adjustments becoming close. A lot of our practices were very fast paced, one, two touch. And um, yeah, by the time they hired a coach, um, Duba was his name. He was 26. And uh, me and him became super good friends. And 
we started coaching the team together and I started to get to play with them more. I would just hop into practices because they always needed players and stuff. And man, yeah, we just really had such a great time and we ended up having a great finish to the season. Uh, I think I think we ended up coming in fourth in the league out of uh, like nine or ten teams, which is really, really strong. We were really happy with that. Um, yeah, our results were just really, really great. And But most importantly, whenever I think of my time in Bhutan, they really just became my family over there. And um, yeah, I'm just so grateful for the time that that I got to spend with them. And to this day, I keep in touch with them. And yeah, I, I just feel so grateful that our lives were able to cross because yeah, it was kind of like having 20 sisters, to be honest. It was just the best. Home away from home. Absolutely, man. This is so cool. There's so much more I want to dive into. And it's good to see even how your experience through, of course, your dad and the people that you know there helped uh, nurture even your experience in Bhutan and just seeing different continents, different cultures, how through football you were able to uh, contact all of that and access all of that. So it is awesome. I definitely want to keep talking about this. It's always good to see stories from around the world. And this is definitely multiple stories uh, that you can you, you keep bringing. And it's so, it's so enriching, I feel. So that's yeah. so great. Thanks, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was super fun.